When we hear the words health and wellness, we might think of the umbrella that that phrase covers, or committees that are bogged down in bureaucracy. Being able to identify the elements of health and wellness and how they apply to you are crucial when it comes to staying in the infinite game that is the fire service. Being able to not only identify the elements that you may need to shore up, but taking action in those elements could be life-saving. In today's episode, I'll talk to Annette Zapp of Fire Rescue Wellness. It's her mission to bring to light the elements of health and wellness that not only speak to us as individuals, but can act as a catalyst for improving our lives so we can enjoy a long and healthy retirement. Without any further delay, here's my conversation with Annette Zapp. Annette Zapp, thank you so much for joining me on the Ignited Firefighter podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry we had to reschedule. I had a bit of a debacle last week. Totally fine. Totally fine. I get it. I know how it goes. One of the things I wanted to kind of jump right in because you've got a lot of stuff going on. I really appreciate you taking the time out to to meet with me and talk about all the stuff you have going on. Well, I appreciate it too. I'm excited. So you've caught my eye with all of the uh, the activity you've, you're doing on social media, the Instagram posts you're posting. And honestly, I feel like it, it speaks to me directly in the community that I'm trying to serve. And honestly, that we, you and I are both trying to serve. And you're taking a firm stance on some things. And I love it. I love that hard line that you're drawing. <laughs> um, ultimately, this is how standards are set, right? And so my big question was, what is it that motivated you to, to start this mission of yours for fire rescue wellness? I have a really long and extensive background in health and wellness in general. And so before I got into the fire service, I was doing the serving anyone and everyone. I had youth hockey athletes. I had elderly hip replacement patients. I had bikini competitors. And as you know, you cannot or you need a niche. And I started to realize what a wide open space the fire service was. Uh, there aren't a terrible lot of resources, or at least there weren't 10 years ago. There are more now. Uh, there aren't a terrible lot of resources. And frankly, many of the resources out there don't come from people that have experience in the first responder space. And so not to say that you can't come in as uh, an an outside expert and be very helpful, but it is very, very helpful for me to intimately understand the details of the job because I've been on the job for almost 20 years. Yeah, that's true. And that's another thing I wanted to talk about too. So you've been a firefighter for close to 20 years. Have you, does that include paramedic or? Yeah. When I initially got hired, I was a medic and as a, as a requirement of our contract, you either have to stay a medic for 10 years or once you become promoted to being an officer, you can drop your medic license. And I just happened to do both things at the same time. And so I dropped oh, my nice. medic license <laughs> when I got promoted. Very good. Very good. What were you promoted to? I am currently a lieutenant and that is exactly where I'm going to stay. I have uh, about awesome. a year and a half left and then I'm going to retire as a lieutenant. That's incredible. That's a rank that uh, out here in the the Western U.S., where I'm at in the Southwest, we don't have the ranks of lieutenant. 
And uh, it's something that I wish we did. I wish we did have that because I think it would bridge the gap nicely between like company officer and, and the, you know, the guys in the back. Yeah, we actually used to have both the rank of lieutenant and captain. And then maybe five or six <laughs> years ago, we got rid of the rank of captain. And I truly think that was a big mistake. I really think we need the, those two officer ranks on the rank and file. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it, I think it adds a good uh, kind of like a mini council. Uh, you know what? Absolutely. So one of the things that you say um, on your website, uh, firerescuewellness.org, is that surviving isn't thriving. And I wholeheartedly agree with you, but I'd like you to talk about the difference between those two things and why it's so important that we thrive, not, not simply survive. This is a lot to unpack, and I will. This is a good one. Yeah, let's answer, do it. Let's I'll do hopefully it. answer your question ultimately. Uh, no one prepared me for what was going to happen in the fire service. We just assume that we're going to take these young men and women, we're going to throw them into a career where they're exposed to trauma, sleep deprivation, um, and unspeakable things, and they're just going to be fine. And you know what? We're, we are resilient. And so for the most part, we are, quote unquote, fine. But fine isn't good enough. And if I'm being completely honest, the fire service took my joy. It took my relationship. And I'm really lucky it didn't take my life. And it was simply because I had no skills in place. Um, I was not very emotionally intelligent when I got hired in the fire service. And because I had no skills uh, taught to me, I mean, no one teaches you how to, to tell a family. Well, at least no one, when I started, taught me how to tell a family, your dad is dead or deceased. No one taught me right. what you're supposed to do when a six month old passes. And so I just kept shoving all of that stuff into my circular file cabinet, whatever you want to call it. And yeah. um, I, I was definitely on a day-to-day -day basis. I was putting one foot in front of the other, but I wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled. And I really wasn't doing anything other than just surviving. I, I find that happening uh, more and more among the rank and file with firefighters. Back in 2017, I read the statistic where firefighter suicides actually surpassed line of duty deaths. And, and that really hit me like a sledgehammer. I couldn't believe that. And so I started doing a lot of homework as to, you know, why is this happening? What is going on in regards to, you know, us getting to the point where mentally we, we just can't handle it anymore. And it's honestly like this conglomeration of, you know, hours worked and not just our basic hours, but like mandatory overtimes, you know, staffing issues, like you said, our inability or, or lack of knowledge in regards to sharing these traumatic experiences with people who are going through them, you know, by default, we're going through them um, and, and a lack of um, ways that we can kind of diffuse that trauma. And it's all just kind of coming at us and compounding us. And I like that your, your goal is fire rescue wellness. You're not particularly focusing on one element that's coming at us because 
as you know, you know, there's a lot of different things coming at us. So I like how you take a well-rounded approach to that. Um, when it comes to the, all the trauma that we're seeing and the things that kind of compound, how is it that you were able to kind of come out of it? You said it, you know, you said it took relationships. You said it took, almost took your life. How was it that you found your way kind of out of that fog? I don't think I would have found it uh, on my own. And I like to tell people that I would consider myself to be fairly intelligent, but I thought depression looked like I can't get out of bed and take a shower. I thought it looked like I'm sad and I'm crying. And what it looked like for me was anger, um, apathy, canceling plans with friends. And I just thought that was my new normal. And so I just kept riding that wave. And one day there was a, a talk on the schedule, uh, our training schedule, and it just said peer support. And I didn't know what that meant. And I probably would have, you know, kind of poo-pooed it and blown it off, except that I saw that the speaker was someone who was local to us. He was a firefighter in a nearby department. And he came in and he was actually the founder of the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support Network. And he came in and he told his story. And simply sharing his story normalized. You know, we didn't necessarily share the same storyline. He was an alcoholic or he had become an alcoholic. Um, he had several, you know, lines in his story that weren't the same as mine. But I just it was like a giant light bulb went on. And I thought, of course, of course, this is how I feel. Of course, this is normal. And simply realizing that how I felt was normal helped to start bring me out of the, bringing me out of the fog. And then I realized, you know what, because I wasn't educated on any of this stuff, I was actually, I was lucky because of my background. I was already focusing on sleep and nutrition and a physical fitness training, moving myself daily. I wasn't necessarily focusing on mental health skills or stress reduction or things like that because I didn't know better. But at least I was filling up those other three buckets and that's what probably saved my life. And so once that light bulb went on, that's when I realized we have to start going upstream. We have to start helping these people before they ever have a problem because once they have a problem, it's not too late. I'm not saying it's too late, but like, why would you drive your car for six years without changing the oil when you could simply change the oil and, and solve your problems in advance? And so the fact, I relate this a lot. Sharing your story is really important. A, because it makes you feel vulnerable and relatable, but also it makes other people think, oh, wow. It's not just me. And so um, the light bulb going on, realizing that sharing the story was important, and then that whole concept of going upstream and educating people before there's a problem, that's kind of like my whole foundation. That's what I work from. Totally agree. Like sharing the story, you know, hearing somebody talk about their experience makes you not only feel like you aren't alone in it, um, but it helps empower you to share your story as well, because it's like without anyone knowing anything about this stuff, we all just kind of sit in our corner, sit in our dark little corner 
and just continue to be alone in everything. And in a career where it's based off of this ideal of brotherhood and service and togetherness and all of that, it's, it's so crazy to me how this stigma has arrived to where we just don't talk about any of that stuff. It's like we, we, we think we're going to deal with it alone, but in every other aspect of our career, like we're never alone. You know, we spend time with these guys and gals that are on our crew and we're, we're experiencing these things that other people would might not ever see in their whole life. And then we just don't want to talk about it. It's such a weird dichotomy. Well, if you think about it, we're in the career of putting out fires, literally and figuratively. The tones go off, there's a fire, we go put it out. And yes, we work on fire prevention to some extent, but we are very, very reactive. And what we need to do is become a lot more proactive, especially when it comes to people's health and wellness. I always kind of give the analogy, your favorite football team does not recruit a quarterback and then just say, good luck, sucker. Like, I hope everything works out good for you. I hope you, you know, don't break your neck. No, they throw resources at that quarterback to make sure that he wins games on all of the days of the week that they play now. So then why are we taking these men and women who make life and death decisions, who help people who are having the worst day of their lives, and we don't give them any resources? We literally... They raise their right hand and we literally say, good luck, sucker. I hope you don't get cardiovascular disease. I hope you don't get PTSD. I hope you don't complete suicide. And then we kind of like wash our hands of it. That's not okay. Right. Yeah. And if you need a resource, here's a phone number or a website and, it's <laughs> and see you later. Yeah. And we'll, we'll you give know, you your golden ax at retirement. Right. I, I just listened to a fabulous podcast episode. My friend, Wendy Lund, she's Canadian and she has a, a company called Wealth Management and it's W-E-L-L, Wealth. And she said, like, there's, there's no other career where we ask so very much of individuals and then basically we expect for these free resources like peer support. I think peer support's wonderful but peer support can't mm -hmm. solve all the problems. And so we try right. to throw these free resources at people and it's not enough. When I talk to my clients, my fitness or nutrition coach clients, it's like, I don't just eat once and I'm good. You know, I have to eat every day. Like I don't get to just work out one time and I'm good. And all my fitness goals are met by working out that one time. So when it comes to like, everything else in our life, all of our, all of our other, you know, pillars that are holding us up, we don't just get to do a one and done. Like we don't get to go to a, a mental health seminar and then be like, well, I'm good. Like we have to continually nurture that thing um, and make sure that, that it's, that it's shored up, that we're not just going into these fires or these situations, just being like shells of people who've completely lost their identity or completely lost their passion for what it is they do. And I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board with you when it comes to that. I like to frame it like this. We are the general population. We are, 
or the general population. So anything that's going on in the general population, obesity, alcoholism, addiction to pornography, whatever's going on in the general population, that same percentage of people are being impacted by it in the fire service. But now we complicate it and we add the trauma and the sleep deprivation and the exposure to hypoxia and the exposure to all of the things. And so our outcomes are automatically less desirable. They're the general population on steroids. Yeah, it's true. I like what you talked about. Um, you said that we need to be more proactive than reactive. And, and it's funny because, you know, I talk a lot about being responsive rather than reactive to kind of help mitigate the the stress impact that that we that we face as firefighters but you brought up a good point it's like we can flip that on its head completely we can take it even a step further and be proactive in our approach so what are what are a few things that you would recommend that could help us become proactive when it comes to like a sense of wellness one of the biggest and most impactful things that we did at my own department was I began speaking with the new hires. So the first day they fill out their tax paperwork, their 457, whatever. And then I get them for an hour and I tell them, uh, I don't sugarcoat it. I tell them what's coming. This is what's coming in this career. And and, and not just with health and wellness. I, I give them the whole right. fina financial part of it, the whole anything that could possibly that I can think of that will hit them in their career. But then I say, here's what you can do to start to solve those problems before you even have them. You know, uh, focusing on your sleep off duty. Yeah, I know you can bounce back now when you're 24 and you can work a 48 and get no sleep. I know you can. But that has a long-term impact on your health and wellness. Every single, and the way I explain it is, the environment is interacting with your genes. It's called epigenetics. Every night of sleep deprivation, every whatever, pizza dinner, whatever, it has an impact and it's cumulative. And so you can make choices to have good impact or bad impact. But as you age, those choices are accumulating and the, the impact is far greater. I ha have one night of poor sleep now and I'm wrecked <laughs> for two weeks. It's, it's unbelievable. So I educate those people on the first day about sleep, about nutrition, about mindfulness, meditation, journaling, stress reduction, and about movement. And I do it in that order. And then I also tell them, everybody comes into this career with baggage. And you might have a lot. You may have a history of childhood trauma. You may have a history of abuse. You may have a lot. You have a history of addiction. You might have a little. But everyone has baggage. And every shift adds something to that baggage. And just like the airplane, pretty soon your carry-on's too big, and they're not going to let you fly with it. And so if you can create a relationship with a counselor before you ever actually feel like you need one, so go meet someone, find out if you like them under a low stress situation, and then make an appointment two, three, four times a year 
so that you keep a relationship with this person so that when you do have something that you need help with, you don't have to create a relationship out of thin air because you know that's very difficult, especially with first responders. Yeah, yeah, the walls are pretty high. Walls are pretty <laughs> high with that. <laughs> you brought up a good point. Um, the talking to the newbies, talking to the new people coming in. I think it's more and more important to not only help them like understand the the true lifestyle, but it, it helps build and propagate the culture that you're trying to purvey or that you're trying to what's the word that you cultivate, I guess, ultimately cultivating culture. Um, you have this perceived firefighter lifestyle. You know, we, we get on the truck, we wear the uniforms and we, we run these calls and we hang out. Um, but there's that perceived lifestyle versus the actual lifestyle. And I like that you're introducing concepts like journaling, um, you know, mental health, all of this stuff, and that nobody really spoke about. I don't know if they even knew about it to speak on it, but but now, you know, who knows? Now it's become more prevalent, and I think being more consciously aware of it and, and putting it out there is an incredible service to our people. I think, like, it's, the, it's us passing the torch of what we learned from our mistakes, don't you? I... I'm an interesting case because people, especially young women, want to talk to me about a career in the fire service. Now, what do people usually do when they ask someone about their their career? The firefighters say, it's great, the time off, the pay, the Kelly days, the driving the ladder truck, it's awesome, period. Yeah. Right, I, that's it. I start, with the, I start with the bad stuff. And I start easy on them, you know, just realize you're going to miss holidays with your family, like, you know, ease them into it. And then I tell them, I tell them about the sleep deprivation. I tell them about the fact that sometimes they'll lay awake and they won't be able to get the thoughts out of their head. I tell them about the mandatory overtime. I, I tell them all the bad parts. And then I tell them the good parts. Because I think it's a disservice not to tell them. I agree. You brought up uh, sleep deprivation, and that's something I know that you're you're very big on, um, getting quality sleep, creating uh, active processes or like strategies for actually getting quality sleep. And and you know we have a bunch of different schedules out there. We've got like the three four. We've got the Kelly days. We have some organizations where I'm at. Um, they have like a twenty four on forty eight off. And then my schedule, which I absolutely love, is the 4896. Uh, mm. But sleep is always impacted. No matter what schedule you're, you're doing, sleep is always a factor. Um, and people like to argue, well, this, this schedule is better than that schedule, and this is why, and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, if you don't have a strategy for your own personal sleep habits, it, your schedule isn't going to matter. So... Um, I know you, you share a bunch of different tips for, uh, improving firefighter sleep. And one of the issue or one of the posts that you made on Instagram was about this thing. Exactly. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit on that. Well, I think the, the biggest responsibility that we have to take is to realize that 
we need to control our controllables and what we can control is our off-duty time. And so as much as we would like to be, you know, screwing around, playing video games till midnight, having parties, whatever, we have to realize that our sleep is more important than all of those things. But simply creating a routine for sleeping, um, whatever that looks like. For me, it's I go to bed at eight o'clock. So, you know, by 637, I try to shut off the blue light screens have a cup of tea, brush my teeth, put on my pajamas, turn on the air conditioner, go to sleep. Oh, and by the way, I got this thing. It's called a chilly sleep. It's a pad on my bed. It keeps me much cooler while I sleep. It's amazing. So if you're a, if you're a hot sleeper, it's an amazing thing, but all of the sleep, um, you know, routines in the world aren't going to help you if you don't give yourself the opportunity to sleep, we need seven to nine hours. End of story. Yes, genetically, there's a few very small percentage of the population that can thrive on less sleep, but it is a very small percentage of the population. So you have to give yourself a seven to nine hour sleep opportunity. If you don't, you're never going to get enough sleep. But the number one thing that I tell people is you have to control your controllables off duty, get your sleep. And then, you know, on duty too, if you're staying up until 12, one o'clock in the morning watching movies with your friends, it's probably not the best idea. If I went to bed at eight and we start running calls at midnight and we run calls for the rest of the night, I still got four hours of sleep, which isn't ideal. But if you're watching movies, you got none. Right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. You have to take, uh, you have to take ownership of your situation control your controllables. That was a good, that's a good way to think of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it. Um, I know people listening probably are guilty of it. We do, we'll stay up and we'll watch movies at work. And, and at the same time, it's like, if we're, if we're doing that trade off, you know, if we're trading off this sleep time for movie time right now, what is the ultimate cost? Like, are we, are we playing, or are we being professional? And really, like, we're, we're there to be, you have to kind of take that ownership and, and ask yourself, am I doing what's best for me and the people that I serve? Or, or am I watching Lebowski for this time? Like, when? <laughs> well, and, and if you put like the pillars that I talk about, the sleep, nutrition, mindfulness, mental health, and, and movement, if you put those into buckets, and you aren't focusing on your sleep, that also has a big impact on the other buckets because you make poorer food choices when you're sleep deprived. Your hormones, metabolically, you don't process the food that you eat as well when you're sleep deprived. You're not going to have energy to move. And frankly, you're probably not going to be that mindful when you're sleep deprived either. So that's why I put sleep first. Everything gets better when you sleep. And I don't know if you have kids, but, you know, imagine a two-year-old when they're being horrible, what is their problem usually? They're tired and they need a nap. And it's the same thing with the 40-year-old firefighter. When they're being horrible, they're probably sleep deprived. Yeah, it's true. And and I'm such a huge advocate for, for quality sleep. I was just... Uh, I just started a new fitness regimen and it's going for like 90 days. I'm about 30 days in. I did it with my son the other day and uh, 
I am talking to him about the importance of recovery and how recovery is just as important as lifting the weight. And he's frustrated, you know, because he's a young adolescent guy. And he's like, I want to get in there. I want to do this thing. And I'm like, you know, you actually build muscle when you're sleeping. Like that's when you actually build it and it repairs and, and exponentially you get bigger that way. But a lot of the people and like clients that I've had through my uh, fitness coaching and nutrition coaching and even like peer support or peer fitness training, they're like, well, I don't want to sleep my life away. And it's like, it's funny because they sacrifice their sleep to live this perceived quality of life when in reality it it's their their awake hours are spent doing low quality things and and then they kind of justify it in this like infinite negative feedback loop and it's like if you would just get the sleep that you needed your awake time would be way more quality and and you wouldn't be feeling these things, you know, your relationships wouldn't be suffering, your, your hypertension might not be so bad. And, you know, all of this other stuff that just kind of compounds onto it. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Sleep is such a huge, huge part of, uh, of, you mentioned the four pillars. Um, you talked about, you say sleep, nutrition, mental health, and movement. Let's talk a little bit about movement, because I know, you know, everybody likes to move a little bit differently. We've got guys that like to do CrossFit. We got guys that like to do like weightlifting. We've got people who like to just run to the moon and back, but talk about how dynamic that is and, and kind of how you have to find where you fit or find what works for you. I have two thoughts about this. The first one is I learned this new term the other day. I'm a reviewer for the TSEC journal for NSCA. And so someone submitted a, a, it was actually about the military, but they used this term, random acts of fitness. And I was like, I'd never heard that. Have you heard of that before? before? I thought it was amazing because that's a lot of times what they do in the military. They just do random acts of fitness. So work out. So we in the fire service. Okay. So let, let me talk about this from a coach's perspective. One of the things I have to remember is that 80% of the fire service is overweight and obese. And so we are not talking about like tip of the spear, special forces, army rangers. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about getting people moving in a meaningful fashion to save their life and to keep their coworkers safe. And so, you know, if they want to run to the moon and back, and if that is keeping them physically fit, I am not going to intervene unless I can convince them to lift some weights. And I'm not in the the, uh, the business of convincing, so I shouldn't use that term, but if I can educate them on lifting <laughs> weights. But in the fire service, if we can simply get people moving enough to keep them healthy, that's a huge win. And that involves meeting them where they are. So if they're, if they're crossfitting successfully and not getting injured, I'm going to keep my hands off for the most part, you know, help them with whatever they need help with. If they're marathoning and not getting injured, I'm going to try to keep my hands off. So I have this matrix I use. And so the very first thing is to meet them exactly where they are, wherever they are, a hundred pounds overweight, marathoning, whatever, meet them where they are. 
The second thing is every single firefighter is in pain, maybe a little bit of pain, maybe a lot of pain, but we're all in pain. And so if I can help them get out of pain, whether that's with some personal recommendations from me or a referral to physical therapy, whatever, get them out of pain. And then I ask them, is there something that you want to be able to do that you can't currently do? And you just have to be ready because some of them might say, I want to get to this weight. Some of them might want to rep 225 on the bench press. Some of them might want to do 50 pull-ups in a row. Just be ready. And then dig, ask the questions. What does that represent for you? What does that mean to you? So meet them where they are, get them out of pain, help them do something that they want to do that they can't currently do. And then you have trust and buy-in. Trust is just another word for buy-in, right? Yeah. And then, then and only then can I start addressing performance. And the research is clear. You know, they need 42 on their, their VO2 max. They need to be strong. They need to have muscular endurance. They need to be mobile. They need to be stable. All that research is already out there. But if you didn't do steps one through three and get the buy-in from them, you're, you're going to be dog paddling. And then the, the other thing you didn't ask, but I'm going to go on a tangent and I hope this is okay. Yeah, please do. Just, just like, just like the peer support where we're looking for the free solution, the departments are also looking for the free solution for health, free-ish solution for health and fitness. And so they think that having peer fitness trainers is the answer. I believe having peer fitness trainers is great to have them as force multipliers for someone who actually has the expertise to lead a program. And so I truly believe, you know, you, you buy a ladder truck and it's a million and a half dollars. Probably I'm just guessing. I don't know that for sure. You buy a ladder truck, but you have a plan. You have heavy maintenance. You have periodic maintenance. We do daily, weekly, monthly checks on this rig. Why? Because we want it to last 12 or 15 years. But put that in perspective. In 12 or 15 years, you will spend a million and a half dollars on an employee just in their salary and benefits. So why then don't we have a maintenance plan for the employees? Why are we not spending money to get professional resources to ensure success for our employees. Yeah, that's a great idea. And, and you bring up a good point too. Like we spend so much time and money. We have committees formulated to spec out apparatus. We go, we give our, we, we have this list of checkoffs that we need to have to meet the needs. We go through all this bureaucracy and like you said, we spend all this money and it is like, it's like a million and a half to 2 million on, on a piece of equipment that we need to last as long as it can. And it's like, ultimately, isn't that what we are? Like, isn't that what we are as firefighters? Well, and, and these men and women who go to the, you know, peer training courses, they have really good intent. Most of them are super interested and enthusiastic, but you cannot teach someone in 40 hours, in my opinion, enough to be responsible for the health and wellness of their entire department. It's setting them up to fail. Like yeah. you can teach 
fire apparatus engineer in 40 hours, but then they go back and they get mentored by the senior guys and they do practice and drive time and all of this stuff. Who's mentoring those peer trainers? Yeah. They're just kind of waiting in the wings. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, like the responsibility is being compounded onto them too. And it's like, we're all wearing the same uniform. You know, we all have to be kind of pouring into each other. So that idea of like the maintenance plan for firefighters, that's a great idea. And and I'm wondering how we can start instigating that or or applying that. And I'm sure that's what you help organizations and individuals do through fire rescue wellness, which I'd love to talk about a little bit more. But before we talk about, you know, specifically the services you offer, I want to know personally, what are your health and wellness pet peeves? What are the things that just irk you? Like when you see someone doing it or you're just like, oh, I wish you wouldn't do that. (laughs) You know what? Um, What makes us good firefighters makes us kind of horrible at health and wellness. Like we are split second decision makers. We are black and white. It's either terrible or wonderful. And we have very strong opinions. And so it just makes me cringe when I sit around the table and someone's expounding on their perfect eating plan or when they're talking Mm. about when they're on a program, like I'm on the 75 hard or I'm on the keto because I'm just waiting and watching because pretty soon they're going to be off the 75 hard or off the keto. So that just kind of makes me cringe because it, it increases the barrier to entry for people that are severely unfit. So they think, oh, well, I can't do this because I got to be 75 hard. Um, So that's one of them. One of the other ones is when departments administratively, what I tell people is don't bother hiring me until you have carved out time because time is your greatest resource. Don't bother buying equipment. Don't hire a coach. Designate time. And how we did it at my department, which I was not responsible for this. In fact, I was against it to start out with because I was being selfish. But uh, my coworker figured out through statistics when we are the least busy, and I believe it was 4 a.m. to 9 a.m. And so he put this proposal together. He wanted to come in wearing our fitness outfits do our rig checks. And then by 7.30, we would be doing our health and fitness training. And then we're required to be showered and fed and ready to be at a drill by nine o'clock. So we have designated time. Yes, we're still due on calls. Yes, we, you know, sometimes it gets interrupted, but they have prioritized that to the point where they've designated time and they at first did a really good job of not putting meetings or anything during that time. It's kind of slipped. We've taken the foot off the gas pedal, which is another one of my pet peeves, keep the foot on the gas pedal, but time is the most important resource. Then worry about hiring a coach and someone to have expertise and then worry about equipment in that order. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Because if you don't have, if you haven't made the time for that thing and then you just bring in a resource then it's just all going to be for nothing. Like it's just mm-hmm. going to fall by the wayside. You know, you can bring in people to talk about God knows what, 
But if you haven't designated a time or time blocked, which I'm a huge fan of time blocking, mm -hmm. and I even do it when I'm on duty. Like I have specific times that, and I understand, like you mentioned, you know, the, the tones go out, the tones go out. We're at the mercy of the fire and the EMS gods. I get that. But still, you know, when you come back to the station, you're not just kind of sitting around and they're like, okay, well, what do I do now? Yeah. I guess I'll just uh, kind of look at my phone for the next 45 minutes. And it's like, if you're still within your time block that you've designated for fitness or reading a book, like I designate 40 minutes to reading every day. And, and if, if we get a call during my 40 minutes, then I note the time and I'm like, oh, I'm only 10 minutes in. I still got 30 minutes. I can come back, go back into it and, and make sure that I'm getting the things that I need to be able to perform the job that I'm expected to perform. Um, so that's a very good point. That whole make time. I love that idea. Well, and you know what I tell administrations, because many of them say, well, yeah, but they're allowed to work out whenever their lieutenant says it's okay, or they're allowed to work out whenever there's time. That's not the same thing as carving out time and making it a priority. And this is our culture. It's different. Right. Yeah. The attitude of if they have time, right. Mm -hmm. Dot, dot, dot. If the, if there's mm -hmm. time, they'll get to work out. And it's like, no, <laughs> it, no. it has to be conscious and per and like purposeful. Um, the other thing you mentioned on a program versus off a program, that's good because um, you know, there are those of us who, who are working through programs. And like I mentioned, I'm working through one right now and I'm only able to do it because I've taken those small steps years ago to get to the point where I'm at. And, and it can be intimidating. And I know early on it was intimidating for me and I was having to find those, you know, small steps and create that, that personal plan for me that would work for me that m might not work for everybody else. And I was just talking with uh, Megan Louts, you know, the, um, the rescue RD. Registered dietitian, you know, Megan rescue yeah. RD. Yeah. And we were talking about how it's all custom, you know, you have to customize, there's no template for everyone. You have to customize your system. You have to customize your organization and it bleeds down. Like you, you customize your organization and each organization has their own culture. Um, but even it, it breaks down to different shifts and mm -hmm. even then it breaks down to different crews. Mm -hmm. Like there are some crews on a shift who are much more fitness minded than others. And some crews are much more geared towards, you know, extrication training or whatever it is. But yeah, you do definitely have to find that thing that speaks to them and, and gets that buy-in and only then can you harness it towards working toward, you know, being successful as a whole and as a team. So those are, those are excellent points. Yeah. I think um, if, if I could just have one message heard loud and clear consistency, you know, it's not going as hard as you can. It is being consistent over the long, over the long haul, over your career. Yeah. Agreed. It's uh, it's the infinite game, right? It's not like we don't, we don't technically like win or lose. We're not keeping a score per se. It's how long can we stay in the game? And you, and your analogy with the ladder truck was perfect because it's like, mm -hmm. we spend all this time, all this money and, and thought into, you know, creating this, this fire truck that's going to serve us. 
we want it to serve us for as long as it can without exploding or bursting into flames itself, right? Like we want to maintain it. We want to make sure that we've got good shoes on it. We want, you know, all of that good stuff. But right. consistency absolutely is is the key to that. And And living in Arizona, I can't help but think of the Grand Canyon, right? That thing has only been created over time because that river has consistently threaded its way through that canyon. So I I can't help but think of that living here, but that's an excellent point. Um, So let's talk a little bit about, let's kind of wrap up and we'll talk about fire rescue wellness. What, uh, what services do you offer? Where can people find you? All of that good stuff. Well, I offer everything from a one-off lecture, either live or via zoom to a full comprehensive health and wellness management for departments. So it's kind of a broad spectrum. But one of the things I'm really excited about that I just began doing this year is that I run a course where I teach, because the biggest complaint that I hear from physical therapists, athletic trainers, they're like, I want to work in fire. It's just so hard. I can't figure out how to, you know, tap in, break in, whatever. So my course is called Creating a Career Coaching Fire, and we start from the very beginning, and I teach them cultural competency. I teach them schedules. I teach them what to call things. I teach them what to say, what not to say, how to do a needs analysis, how to write a proposal. So it's just from start to finish. And because it's, here's the thing, there aren't many professionals that are also firefighters. And so we need culturally competent professionals to provide these services. I truly believe that within 10 years, the fire service is going to realize, oh my God, yes, we do need a health and wellness professional embedded in our department. And I believe only the tiniest of departments will not have that. And so I think there's job opportunities here. I think there's a need and I'm having a lot of fun teaching that class. I've had some really great people go through it. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Awesome. Yeah. What, what a better way to, to introduce these people, like have you be the liaison because there is a huge barrier, you know, there's, there's like, you know, the things that people see on movies and TVs as far as like culture goes, but honestly, like there's so much misunderstanding in regards to like how our schedule works how the culture truly is. So that's great that you're kind of bridging that gap mm-hmm. for, for working professionals to come in because boy, do we need it. We need it bad. So yeah. And you can be the best professional in the world, but if you stand up during a lecture and say something stupid, like right. your, you're uh, your oxygen tank on your back or something like that, yeah. you are done. You're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Like we just, we'll just stop listening or, you know, we'll just leave the yep. room. Be like, well, this person obviously doesn't know what they're talking about. And so, you know, God love the people who are trying to get into it because they really have a heart for serving the fire service community. But unfortunately, some things like that might trip them up. And that's that's really cool that you're helping bridge that gap. So uh, what about like social media? Where are you at? Or was there something else that you wanted to say? Um, I'll tell you social media and then I have one more point to make about research. So I'm mostly active on Instagram. I am at fire rescue wellness. It's all spelled out. And then my website is www.firerescuewellness.org. Um, and you can message me there. But one of the things that 
it does make it easier for me, I will admit, because I have the background in both strength and conditioning, nutrition, and being a firefighter, it, it greases the wheels to some extent. However, that said, just because researchers are not firefighters does not invalidate the research. Some of the most amazing researchers in the world, um, Mark Abel, Jay Dawes, Rob Orr, are all working, and there's many more, I'm forgetting a lot of them. They're all working on firefighter research. And just because they're not firefighters doesn't mean the research is invalid. So make sure you keep that in mind. Absolutely, 100%. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate all your insight. I appreciate what you're doing to help bridge the gap. Like I said, I think your perspective is really great. I like uh, seeing all the stuff that you do on Instagram and whatnot. It's really a testament to your dedication to the craft. And I love how you're the insider looking out, but now you're helping the, the outsiders look in. So that's great. Thank you for that. Yes. And I thank you so much too. And I just wanted to give you one quick shout out. Congrats on your book. I know that just came out. Oh, this thank week, you. So congrats. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny because like you write the book and, and it's over and you're like, oh, the, all the hard work is over and how nice is that? And then you realize, oh, well, I still have to market this thing and I still have to, <laughs> you know, so it's like now the real work begins. It's like, oh man, I thought the real work was over, but now it's just getting started. But it's really fun and I'm excited. So thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Well, I will, uh, I'll be in touch and I look forward to connecting with you again sometime in the future. Thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation and got some things out of it like I did. One of the things that stuck out to me was how depression manifested with her. I feel like it manifests in different ways for all of us. So it's important to make sure that we have a grasp on who we are and who we're being to other people. Annette has a big heart and is really genuinely vested in what it is that she does when it comes to the fire rescue wellness side of things because she's been doing it for 20 years and she understands the demands and the pressures of the job. Click the link in the show notes to check out her website and the services that she offers and learn a little bit more about her. Follow her on Instagram. She's got some great infographics that she puts out all the time. Also, if you haven't already, go to Amazon or click the link in the show notes and purchase the new book I wrote. It's called Own It, Build a Fire Service Culture of Trust and Integrity Through Accountability. And in it, I talk about systems of accountability that you can instigate into your own life and into your own crew to help build up yourself, your crew, and your organization. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, if you see a need, own it and take action. Be the ideal firefighter you would want on your crew. Be ignited. <laughs>